0: James Senegal once said, technology helps us become more efficient and productive, but our business still has a lot of art as opposed to strictly science. Are you tinkering, self-learning, self-improving, experimenting with home labbing? And do you want to become a skilled IT expert? Well, you've found your new home. This is the Home Labbers Podcast. On this show, we'll interview top experts and dig deep to learn how they got started and how they trained their IT skills as a master martial artist in a Shaolin temple. And you know what? We're going to have fun along the way. This is the Home Labbers Podcast. And now your host, Vian Du. All right, let's do this.
1: Steven, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you on the podcast.
2: Thanks, I appreciate it. I've been really looking forward to uh, having this discussion.
1: Before we dive into uh, the home living topic, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah,
2: so that's actually a long, long story. So I'm not gonna bore you with all, uh, I don't know, 15 or 16 years of it. But essentially, uh, I, uh, just uh, starting with the present, uh, at present, I'm a VMware v expert. Uh, I'm also part of the HPE Influencer Program, uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Um, I have a technology blog called the Tech Journal at uh, stephenwagner.com. And I'm also the president of Digitally Accurate Inc., an IT solutions, services, and uh, managed services company. So uh, I've been in the IT industry for a very, very long time. Uh, Done a lot of work with a whole bunch of stuff from VMware, Windows servers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, got a pretty heavy duty home lab and, uh, I guess you could say that I'm just an all around technology enthusiast.
1: How did you get started with home labbing and where did you get the idea?
2: Yeah, so this is where it comes into the business. So when I was 19 years old, I started uh, my IT company. And of course, uh, you know, when you get started, you got to get some computer equipment, you have to have your workstations, you got to get a file server set up and all that good stuff. Now, when I first started, um, I guess you could say that I was trying to do things on the cheap. So I started off with white box components, building servers, uh, of course, loading them up with uh, VMware server. I don't know if you remember that before there was ESXi, there was VMware server, which ran on Linux, right? So I started off with that and, uh, you know, a couple of Windows virtual machines, domain controller, file server, uh, just the basics. But um, yeah, so I guess that's how, uh, how it got started and it was all a direct result of the business. And there was uh, quite a bit of tinkering after that.
1: Where did you get the idea?
2: Yeah, so uh, the idea was that I needed to set up an environment. And because it, like, I just started the business, I didn't have the money for enterprise equipment. And so I guess you could say that a lot of the home labbing I was doing was to not only set up an environment for my business, but it was also a home lab for me in the sense that I was using it to train and educate myself and and, uh, do all that kind of stuff.
1: So how did your first home lab look like?
2: It, it, it started off uh, pretty much how I mentioned with a whole bunch of white box components. Um, Linux server running VMware server. Uh, I think I had a Cisco firewall that I used as uh, what I call the VLAN breakout box um, just because, you know, NICs, NICs were expensive and I was a young guy just starting up. I couldn't afford any of the nice equipment. So uh, it was nice because I got to learn about VLANs and uh, VMware server. And yeah, I guess it was just... Uh, uh, it was. It wasn't too bad of a setup, and as time went on, I was able to incorporate uh, more and more enterprise, real enterprise equipment into it.
1: And what was your first home lab project?
2: So the first home lab project, I'm actually really excited to talk about. So, you know, it's it's pretty easy to get a server set up with VMware Server. It's it's easy to get it set up with Linux. It's easy to do networking, right? Now, what I wanted to do was you hear all these businesses that have these NAS devices or these enterprise grade SANS. And so with me being a Linux enthusiast, I wanted a SAN for my own home lab. Now I couldn't afford one. So my very first project that I can recollect was, I remember at the time the Linux kernel comes with an iSCSI target. And at that specific period of time, the iSCSI target that shipped with the Linux kernel did not support something called Scuzzy. Uh, SCSI, I think I don't know if it was SP3 persistent reservations. But essentially you could create an iSCSI target, however, it could not handle multiple hosts or multiple sessions. So if you had one server, you mm-hmm. could let's say a VMware server, you could connect to it, have access to an iSCSI target. But if you had multiple ESXI hosts, you could not have it all connected to a single target. There was a project called Leo target L-I-O-Target, which was a uh, open source project. I I think the company was named Rising Tide Storage Solutions. And this was about 14 years ago. And they actually created an open source iSCSI target that supported persistent SCSI reservations and multiple sessions. And with me, I had to figure this out. I had to get it set up. No one else could do it on the internet. Everyone was posting. There were so many threads about how to get it configured how to get the client software installed, how to deploy it. And this had to be my first home lab project. I needed to get this working and I needed to document it and I needed to blog about it. And so it was pretty cool. I reached out to the author, um, his name was, uh, Mark F- Fleishman. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Funny story is, is that after he sold that company, started another company and sold that one, I believe he's actually now the VP of cloud delivery for VMware. I just found this out a couple months ago. So that that's kind of cool. I caught up with him a couple months ago, but he's actually the author and the person that started this Leo target. And so I got that going. I created a white box server. I picked up an LSI SAS Sata HBA. Uh, picked up a, I think it's a StarTech drive cage. Hooked up five drives. Got them set up in RAID five. Loaded up Leo Target. Got it working, and was able to present a volume to multiple ESXi hosts. And uh, I got to say I was pretty proud of myself because technically I had a custom home built SAN and. Just one other note that I want to mention about this too is that Leo Target ultimately, I think it was three, four, five years later, uh, the Linux kernel actually dumped the current iSCSI Target in favor of bringing in and merging the Leo Target project into the Linux kernel.
1: But how did you fund your home lab?
2: So that's another good question. When I first started up my company, I had accumulated a decent amount of cash to start my business. And so technically this was all savings. Um, the savings were going to start up the company and the savings were also going to start up the, uh, the, the spending. Um, and actually one thing that I just wanna kinda mention about this as well is I mentioned earlier in the interview that I tried to start off cheap using white box components. And one thing that was really interesting is that it still adds up. No, it doesn't matter if you go cheap. It doesn't matter if you go expensive. Having a home lab is an expensive project that never ends. You're always spending, you're always replacing, you're always incorporating new technologies, new servers, new hardware, new gear. And so one other story that I want to mention in this interview is that eventually with my business, you know, I was an HPE partner and I preached and I sold a lot of HPE product to customers. But me, myself, I I never used it. I always had the white box components. And one day I actually had a critical failure where I lost quite a bit of data. And so it actually, that was about the time that I finally said enough is enough. Um, It was a significant outage. And that's when I kind of flipped the switch and actually started to incorporate real enterprise hardware into my home lab. I think it was that day that I just went on and uh, on the internet and picked up a a brand spanking new HP, I think it was an ML 350 G5, and that was back in 2007, I believe.
1: And how your home lab looks right now, and what do you have now there, software and so on? So, so this this is this is going to be
2: a long explanation. Go for um, it. I it's, love it's, long ones. Yeah, it's it's excessive, and it generates a lot of heat, and it generates a very large electricity bill. At the current present time, I have two. HPE DL 360 P gen eight servers, the performance models. Uh, each one has two either. I I believe it's two 20 core processors in each servers for a total of 40 cores per server. One of the servers has 256 gigs of Ram. And I think the other has a very odd multiple. I think it's 384, 386 megabytes of Ram. Those two servers are hooked up to an HPE MSA 2040 dual controller SAN. I've got a 24 900 gig dual port SAS 10K enterprise drives. Those are connected via iSCSI MPIO, multipath input output. So technically, I've got 20 gigabits per second of throughput going from the SAN to these servers, and that's via DAC. That's actually one cool thing that I, I was actually able to save a lot of money on with my home lab is the fact that um, there's a lot of people that for 10 gig, they use SFP plus, but their problem is, is that they're using the SFP plus fiber modules. And a lot of people don't know this, but a very affordable and reliable, stable alternative to fiber are these SFP plus DAC cables. They're cheap. They're reliable. I think they, they offer up to somewhere between three and six meters for passive cables and they're great for home labs. They're great for businesses, the whole deal. So it it helped me reduce quite a bit of spending. So that that was neat uh, because that's been a very, very reliable storage solution for me since uh, I deployed that I believe in 2013. Believe it or not, I actually still have all the hardware on HPE care packs. Everything's still under warranty, which is really nice. A couple of years ago I had one of the controllers in the SAN go and I could be wrong but I think that's about $12,000 and it was nice just to make a phone call and get it swapped out with a new
1: one. Wait a minute. You have enterprise support for your home lab hardware? Yes.
2: Yes, I do. So all of the HPE hardware, the servers and the SAN, I purchased brand new and i i believe i leased it with uh hewlett-packard financial services so it wasn't too bad of a deal 36 month lease one dollar buyout and i've made sure to keep the all the support under on care packs which has been great because i get all the firmware updates when the specter meltdown vulnerabilities came out i had access to the firmware to update the servers update the msa 2040 san and it's it's been great but at the same time too but keep in mind there hasn't been too many failures like I've had the one controller go in the sand. I believe I've had two discs go in the sand. And in the last six years, I've probably had about six fans in the DL 360s go, which uh, isn't too bad. You make a, you pick up the phone, you make a phone call, you get a pho- fan replacement within 24 hours. Actually, there was a couple of years where I was paying for four hours support. So back in those days, I, you'd pick up the phone, four hours later, you'd have a replacement fan showing up at your house. And uh, yeah, you know, you just open up the server, swap it out without shutting anything down. It was great. Um, But yeah, so that's the setup. Uh, Both of the servers are running ESXi. Uh, The SAN is presenting the storage using iSCSI MPIO. Um, For networking, I have a Ubiquiti Unify. I think the model number is it's a 16 or it's an XG-16 or it's a US 16 XG or something like that. Anyways, it's, it's a 16 port aggregation switch. I think it has about 12 SFP plus ports along with four 10 G base T ports. The HPE DL 360 P's they in addition to the dual port SFP plus NIC that I have in the servers, those the HPE servers, they used to have these FLR network cards and the port, the slot on them was very similar to PCI express but it looks completely different. I actually heard stories about people trying to jam PCI express cards into this FLR slot and then they were, they were frying their servers. But anyways, inside of that FLR slot, which is built onto the, the main board. Um, I also have a dual 10 G base T NIC, which is pretty nice. So on that ubiquity unify switch with the four 10 GB T ports, I've got um, two cables going from each server to those uh, four 10 G base T ports. And then for the SFP Plus, I use it for some other stuff, which I'll get to in a couple seconds here. So uh, two of the ports on that 10 gig switch, I actually have it going to another Ubiquiti US48, I believe is the model. And so that's a 48 port, one gig switch. It also has, I believe, two or four SFP Plus ports. So I actually have uh, two cables doing uh an lacp lag link aggregation between the 10 gig switch and the uh, 48 port switch which is nice because essentially that's you know 20 gig um so going across the lag 40 gig if you if you include the full duplex and from the 48 port switch that's what feeds everything else in the server room including all the network jacks inside of my house and um yeah i think that covers it for the networking I've probably got about 16 to 20 VLANs configured. I have a native VLAN for provisioning of the unified devices. It's nice because I've got it set up, everything firewalled. So, you know, let's say that I pick up a, a new Unify uh, Nano HDAP, I can just hook it up to any network port. It gets thrown on the default VLAN, which has nothing except for routing to the Unify controller. It gets provisioned, jumps on a different VLAN. It's good to go. Uh, I've got my corporate VLAN. I've got a couple storage VLANs. I've, I actually, Oh, here's another thing. I have two internet connections. I have a TELUS fiber business connection coming in one gig up and one gig down. And I also have a Shaw coax connection with, I think about 750 megabits per second down and 150 megabits per second up. I have two different VLANs set up for the different WAN. And I'm running a Sophos, actually I'm running two Sophos UTM virtual appliances set up in HA to actually provide load balancing with the internet connections, which has actually worked out pretty well. I know that VMware can do the the HA for the the VMs, but one thing that's really nice about having the Sophos UTM set up is that uh, I have both running at the same time. So it's like, I don't have to deploy VMware fault tolerance, which would just be overkill for my network. And at the same time too, with uh, VMware HA, you know, you have to wait until a a VM stops before it actually starts it on another host. Whereas in my situation, I actually have two VMs running and they'll just take over from each other. If one of the hosts ever goes down, I deployed that a couple of times after i I'd be out of town, something would happen with the network. And let's just say, it's really hard to troubleshoot your home lab when you're calling up a family member to go to your house and, uh, Troubleshoot something that uh, what they described was starting the space shuttle. So I'll just leave leave that at that. But yeah, so uh, it's not bad. And you know what's interesting is that with this hardware, even though it's pretty powerful hardware, the internet connections these days are so fast that you know if you're doing IPS, uh, if you have like an intrusion prevention or protection system that's doing packet filtering, you know even though I'm getting a gig up and gig down. Those servers only have enough power to maybe process something like 250 to 300 megabits per second of of actual throughput, which is unfortunately. But it's another reason to do the home lab upgrade, right? Which I'm planning on doing soon. I'll get to that later in the video. So that's everything that's on top of the desk. It's a little bit of a ghetto setup. I don't actually have it racked. Uh, I mentioned that I have that technology blog, so I'm actually doing quite a bit of work on the servers all the time. I'm opening them up, uh, changing cabling, I'm implementing new solutions. And so for me, at one point I did have them racked, but it just got to the point where it was easier just to have them laid out on a desk. Because then for videos, for blog posts, everything's there in front of me, the light's shining down on it, so I don't have to deal with lighting. And I could just open up the servers and do what I need to, which uh, is actually really convenient. On top of that desk, I also, a recent addition would be a brand spanking new Synology DS1621 Plus that Synology was nice enough to send out to me. I actually ended up loading that up with six, six terabyte WD Red Pro drives. Just started tinkering those with those uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. Now, one thing that's really surprised me about that is I actually uh, have the 10 gig NIC installed. It's a dual port 10 gig NIC. I've got that hooked up to the Ubiquiti 10 gig switch. I presented an iSCSI target using MPIO to the ESXi hosts and did some preliminary benchmarking either last weekend or the weekend before that. And I got to say, I was pretty impressed. I was hitting 2.2 gigabytes per second, maxing out the dual 10 gig NIC ports. And for writes, I was, uh, I think I was getting around 1.5 or 1.6 gigabytes per second, which was pretty impressive. 4K random IOPS for something like 5500 on reads and writes. So that was the very first deployment. I haven't done much testing other than that, but just getting it prepped for a couple of posts. In that environment, I've also I've got numerous Windows servers doing everything from um, VMware Horizon. I have a f- full VMware Horizon VDI virtual desktop infrastructure deployment in my environment. Uh, i've also got an amd fire pro i think it's a s7150x2 i hope that's the model number and that is a data center gpu that technically it's it's a double width full height GPU and, you know, you, you can't fit it inside of a one U server. So I did a little, little bit of a hack job and I'm actually running a PCI Express ribbon cable out the back of the server onto the top of the server where this card is actually sitting physically on top of the server, hooked up with this PCI Express ribbon cable. Uh, it's probably the most unsupported thing that that uh, that's ever been attempted on these HPE servers. I'm pretty sure that the other HPE solution architects would cringe at it, but but it works. So <laughs> it's pretty cool. I've got, I've got a fully functioning 3d accelerated VDI environment, which is pretty cool to, to be able to work on, you know, if you wanted to, you could play games on it, uh, use that all the time. So that's really handy. Uh, I've also got numerous, uh, zig zero clients that I use to access that environment. So I've got a windows virtual machine running the Ten Zig manager software. That's another platform for the, uh, the zero clients, and 10 clients to access VDI. Um, I think a couple of domain controllers, Windows File Server, uh, WSUS, Windows Server Update Services running.
1: Have you implemented Cisco Duo in your home lab?
2: Yes. So I actually, uh, my company is a Duo partner. And so I've got Duo deployed in my environment. And I also get paid to deploy Duo at a lot of uh, companies. So I'm running Duo with uh, all my Linux VMs, I'm running Duo on all my Windows VMs, I'm running Duo in my VMware Horizon environment. And it's, I've got to say it's, it's working really well. It's, it's a really nice product. I remember when I first had one of my customers reach out to me, they were looking for something. I was like, you know, this is why you need a home lab is so that when people ask you how to do stuff that you haven't done before, you can do it on the fly. It's like a crash course into the technology that you want to implement. And so I reached out to a whole bunch of companies. I actually got set up as an RSA partner. I'm sorry, but I never got their software deployed, but Duo was nice. I really appreciated the platform. I liked how it integrated with all the products, Linux, Windows, and the API to connect and protect other applications. I even use it to protect my VPN. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else I've got going on. So another cool item that I, Another cool item that I have running underneath that desk is I have an HPE ML310 Gen8 version two server. And that was originally kind of like an emergency ESXi host. It wasn't doing too much. I think it supports a maximum of 32 or 64 gigs of RAM. It has a newer processor. So technically it's with a higher gigahertz rate, I was using it for a firewall for a little while because with the IPS, it's it, it's actually, the, the performance of IPX directly correlates with the gigahertz, the clock speed of the processor. So I was actually able to get higher firewalling with IPS when I was running it on there, but I actually ended up repurposing that server. Um, I've, I've always had this infatuation with uh, storage you know, I, I told you the story about setting up Leo target to set up a San and do all that kind of stuff. And so what I ended up doing is I picked up uh, an IO crest. I think it was a PEX, P-E-X 41072 or something like that. I'm, I'm probably wrong on the model number, but essentially it's, it's a PCI express card that has four NVMe M.2 slots on it. And it also has a PCI express uh, switch chip. And so now this is pretty cool because essentially, you know, like a lot of these NVMe storage cards, they require bifurcation in order to set up. And all my equipment is sold so that it doesn't support bifurcation. The DL360s might support bifurcation, but I think it's like a two by two or it's like a four by four, which isn't what most of the cards require these days, just because those they're their gen 8 servers are a little bit old. But I found this card that has the switch chip built in. So essentially, you know, it's got a 16x slot. You could throw this into any system that the card would fit into, as long as it has a 16x slot, and you would be able to have access to all four NVMe disks. So I picked up this, this card, I loaded it up with four two terabyte Sabrant or Sabrant, I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, NVMe storage, Sabarin has some amazing high-speed storage. It's all consumer-based. So keep in mind that they don't offer power uh, PLP, which is power loss prevention, which is is a requirement for enterprise environments. So just so everyone out there knows, I, I know that it doesn't have PLP and I shouldn't be doing this, but it's a home lab, right? So I loaded it up with that and I ended up installing TrueNAS on that server and created a volume, a pool, and shipped it out with iSCSI Again, with uh, tossed in a dual port SFP plus card, hooked it up to the Ubiquiti 10 gig switch. And that's actually providing very, very, very high speed storage to my environment. And that's actually where I put a lot of my VDI virtual machines so that when I'm traveling around, I can just open up my laptop, open up the VMware Horizon client and then connect back to uh, this virtual machine that not only does it have an AMD Fire Pro data center GPU attached to it, But it's also sitting on top of extremely fast NVMe storage that uh, I'm I'm maxing out the two dual port or I'm maxing out the two 10 gig links like I'm getting 2.1 or 2.2 gigabytes per second um, going in both directions. So that's that's kind of cool. And another thing. Uh, Then on top of that, jumping into power distribution, it's nothing too fancy. I'm actually kind of embarrassed about it. I've just, I have two APC smart UPSs. Uh, I believe they're the same model, different generations. It's not too bad. I think they're about 1500 Watts or 1500 VA each, which isn't too bad. There's been a couple of times where the power goes out. I have the servers, each server has dual power supplies. So I actually have uh, each power supply connecting to a different UPS. Same thing with the sand, it has dual power supply. So I have the, the one power supply going to each UPS. And there's been times where, I don't know, power goes out. With all the equipment continuing to run, I think it'll actually power it for about 15 minutes. However, with that being said, when the power does go out, I do my best to toss one of the hosts, the ESXi hosts, into maintenance mode, and then I'll shut it down. And just by doing that, I can actually extend the uptime on the UPS batteries to about, uh, 20, 25 minutes or so. And then finally, one of the most boring yet important components of my home lab is, uh, it's an LG dual inverter air conditioner. And if it wasn't for that thing, none of this would be possible. That room without the air conditioner running within 10, 15 minutes, it'll go from room temperature all the way up to 35 36 38 degrees celsius. You leave it for a little while longer, you'll get above 40 and I've never actually let the room go above 40 so I don't, I don't <laughs> the, the HPE servers have an emergency shutdown feature that I think that kicks in about somewhere between 42 and 48 celsius. So thankfully I've never hit that point. But uh, yeah, no, the, the LG air conditioner is a, a, a definitely a rock star. And actually on that note too, since we're talking about home labs, as far as recommendations go, I have to say that if you are an extreme home lab enthusiast, I've gone through a lot of air conditioners and I have to say that a dual inverter air conditioner is the best because what happens is that instead of the spikes in power, the jumps just going from off to, to bust busting note, 1400 Watts or something like that. What's really nice about having the dual watt or the dual inverter air conditioners is that it actually can step up to the levels required to air condition. So when it turns on, it's not going to jump up and take a 1400 watt draw, it'll turn on and then it'll slowly gradually get up. So you don't have to worry about any shorts. Your lights won't flicker. That was a problem that I had for the longest time for many, many years, Uh, a couple breakers that were, were, uh, were thrown, but since jumping to a dual dual inverter air conditioner, that, that was the big save because, uh, Not only is it gentler on the equipment, it's gentler on the uh, power lines in your house, but it it also consumes a lot less electricity, which is nice because in the summer, it's not doing the, it's not either on or off. It's just doing what it needs to do to get it to the target temperature. So uh, other than that, I, I think that's pretty much it for like the server room. If you want to call it that throughout the house, I have a couple more ubiquity eight port switches that have all the VLANs going across them. What's nice is that the uh, the US8 models of the switches, I think they dedicate the eighth port to actually, even, even if you do not buy the PoE model, the eighth port does provide PoE pass-through, which is always nice. So, you know, I deploy one of those in my office. I deploy one of those in the, uh, the cabinet in the furnace room. And then I've got a wireless access point down around my office. And then I've got a wireless access point towards the top of the house. And it uh, shoots out all the power via PoE, which is really nice.
1: Do you know how much power like totally your home lab takes with cooling?
2: I should know, but I have decided not to check because I don't want to scare myself <laughs> and potentially start downsizing it. Now, the bills are big. So up here in Canada, I, I don't know what electricity costs are in other parts of the world, but there's been times where my electricity bill has been five or $600 a month, Canadian dollars. I think, You know, that kind of power draw usually only comes from server rooms and people that are growing drugs in their house. So to be honest with you, I'm actually surprised that the police haven't busted down my door because of the power draw. I think the fact that I have a business license is one of the reasons why they actually think that it's business related versus <laughs> something illegal. <laughs> but, but no, it's, it's definitely interesting. And actually we, our power prices are going up here too. So I'm expecting pretty soon, if I don't change some stuff with the home lab, the power bill is probably gonna be getting up to six, seven, eight hundred $800 Canadian per month. Uh, but on that note, I am planning some very interesting and exciting updates uh, in the home lab in the future.
1: How much knowledge have you gained while you were having a home lab?
2: Tons tons and tons of knowledge. This is hands-on experience. This is education. This is experience with software experience with technologies um, experience with software suites. I know there's a lot of people that believe firmly in proper education and I'm not dismissing proper education, but I have to say that having your own home, home lab allows you to experiment. It allows you to obsessively experiment So if you want to lock yourself in your room for four or five days at a time to learn something that's bugging you because you can't figure it out, you can do that with a home lab, whereas you can't do that with a a proper professional education. So I have to say that I've, I've gained knowledge, expertise, it's helped me out financially, it's helped my business out, it's... Uh, I, I I would recommend to everyone if you're in it and if you have time to tinker, definitely get a home lab up. It doesn't have to be extreme. It doesn't have to be professional. It doesn't have to, you you don't have to compare it to other people's home lab. A home lab is something that you build that you can be proud of that you can use to advance your knowledge and expertise. And, you know, generally at the end of the day, it all comes back to having fun, right?
1: What is the most memorable home lab story you like to share?
2: Yeah. Well, so, so here's, here's one of the most memorable I remember. So moving this equipment when you're moving from place to place, house to house, it is a lot of equipment. And so, you know, the neighbors are looking at you wondering like, what is this guy running in his house as you're bringing out these rackable servers, storage units, and a whole bunch of other gear. I remember one time I was moving in winter and the house stairs made out of concrete were covered in snow and ice. And I just remember I was carrying one of my HPE DL360P Gen 8s, and I slipped on the ice, and I went flying down the stairs. And I just remember, in the split flash moment between being in the middle of the air and hitting the ground, I came to the conclusion that the human body can repair itself. The HPE servers cannot. (laughs) So... So I made the decision to land on my back, on my shoulder and take the brunt of the impact to save this DL360P Gen 8. And I have no regrets because I would have been absolutely crushed, especially since I bought all the equipment brand new, especially since it was all under warranty. I would have been crushed if that server would have gotten damaged. So so other than the iSCSI, I would probably say that that, that would be one of the most uh, memorable uh, home lab stories that I'd have to share. <laughs>
1: but do you have any scary or funny home lab stories,
2: funny stories? That's, that's a good one. You know, being a young single guy, you know, you go out on dates and it's always an interesting story when you invite a girl back to your house and she says, what's behind this door. That's closed. Why is there a humming sound coming from it? And you decide to open up the door and show them the home lab. They, they they don't know what to say to it. They don't know how to respond to it. Um, I still, to this day, have no idea what they think, but some ask questions. <laughs> some don't, some just don't talk about it. I just say that it's associated with my business for me to tinker with. Uh, but uh, that, that that's a funny one. Um, I think uh, one time I had my house alarm get set off and I have it set up so that when my alarm goes off, they don't call, they just dispatch the police. And that's for a number, number of reasons. And so that was another funny story is when once the alarm went off at the house, and the police showed up and they were curious what that sound was. And so I had to open up the door and show them and they kind of stared at it. Didn't say anything for about 15 seconds. And I just said, Oh, it's just business equipment. And they gave me a weird look and that was it. They didn't ask any other questions. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it. Other than that, I haven't had too many concerns. Jumping over to the enterprise grade equipment, everything's been fairly reliable. Uh, I've had a couple of air conditioners that have died, but I I monitor everything. So when I notice that the ambient temperatures, I like to keep that room at about 19 degrees Celsius. So whenever the temperature goes above it, I get a notification. So even when the air conditioners failed, it wasn't too big of a deal because I got a notification instantly and I was able to get some circulation in the room uh, while I got a spare air conditioner brought up to the room. Um, other than that, I've just had a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, so another funny story is, one of my passions with uh, is with VDI. And so before the AMD Fire Pro uh, GPU, I actually had an NVIDIA GRID K1 grid card. And so this was kind of funny because this was uh, someone that I met off the internet and I negotiated a pretty good price on this first generation NVIDIA data center VGPU card. And it was hilarious because I just remember you know, this guy was a home lab enthusiast. He worked with Citrix environments and I guess, I think he purchased this card from his business or he inherited when they were recycling a bunch of equipment, he got the card and so it was time for him to pass it along. And so I guess he got some new gear and, you know, again, the home labs, you know, whether it's new equipment or used equipment, just make it happen and have fun with it. So I met, I we negotiated on a price and set a place to meet. And it was the funniest thing ever because I, it's just this ginormous parking lot in this mall area and there's no cars in the center of the parking lot. And these two random cars just pull up and sit next to each other. We both get out of our cars. I've got a wad of a hundred dollar bills in my hand. He pulls out this, this brick, which is the Nvidia K one grid card in gray static wrap. Now, for the people that are standing around looking at this, they're just seeing me handing this individual 56700 dollars and him handing me a gray brick which could have been confused for drugs or cocaine. <laughs> but but it was actually an Nvidia Grid K1 card, right? <laughs> and, and so people were looking at us thinking that a drug deal just went down in the parking lot, but it was actually me me getting my hands on my first uh, data center GPU. So that that was kind of funny.
1: That that was a good story. What do you also think about when they see your home lab?
2: Yeah, so I I guess I, I kind of answered that a little bit in the last question. Uh one thing I didn't cover is my friends. They they look at me like I'm kind of crazy. Uh, you know, when I was super young, I had quite a few friends that wanted to move out and get a condo, and I was just like, I can't guys, like I got my home lab, and they're like, What are you talking about? What's this home lab? And then you know, they they come over and they they look at it and they think you're crazy. But I guess you could say I am kind of crazy. The, the amount of equipment that I have in that room back when it was brand new, I had more equipment in my home lab than some companies had for organizations that had 250 employees. Right. So, <laughs> so I guess if people would think I'm pretty crazy. I have clients that are, uh, that know that I have this equipment and actually, uh, and actually jumping back to the, pre- the previous question, uh, the, the most scariest or funny home lab stories. Uh, one thing that was kind of interesting is that uh, we had a flood in the city that I live in. Uh, it was a major flood that shut down all the power of downtown Calgary. Certain sections didn't have power for three months. And it was kind of interesting because with all the infrastructure that I have set up in my home, in my server room, I was actually able to offer my customers to for me to go to their offices and pick up their servers And I actually brought them back into my home lab server room and deployed quite a bit of critical infrastructure for my clients and hosted their servers for, I think it was uh, six months before all the infrastructure in the ground in downtown Calgary got set back up so that we could move the servers back to their offices. So that, that, that was another cool story. Um, but yeah, so my, my customers knew about that and jumping back to the question that we're at right now, they, they thought it was pretty cool that I was able to, to do this and, and help them out and, and, you know, just have all access to all that equipment and be ready for that.
1: What is a home lab for you?
2: And so this jumps back to the whole thing about knowledge. A home lab is, it's an investment into your future. It's an investment for fun. Uh, You know, when you, when you get a home lab set up, it's, it's so much, it's, it's something to do for fun. It's something to tinker with. It's something to educate yourself with. It's something for work. You could say that a home lab or home labbing, it's, it's a, it's a passion. It's something that you can be proud of. It's something that you build with your own hands. And it doesn't just stop at the physical aspect of a home lab, but it also incorporates into the technology. Because, you know, you deploy these virtual machines, you deploy the software, you integrate the software, you know, you, you design the infrastructure. You're, you're, you are your own solution architect. And I think, I think that's pretty cool. To me, that's, that's what a home lab is for me.
1: What one piece of, of advice would you give for beginner home labbers?
2: Don't get discouraged. A home lab is a home lab. If you go out and purchase a raspberry Pi, you officially have a home lab. And that is a perfect stepping stone. It's all about learning and it's all about having fun. Do what you can purchase used equipment, purchase new equipment, whatever you want to do, play with it, tinker with it, expand your knowledge, take it as far as you can have fun with it. Use it to your advantage. Just enjoy it. That's, that's the, uh, a big piece of advice that I would give to people. Um, But uh, yeah. So, you know, like I said, just have fun with it. Enjoy your home lab, learn what you can because technology is the way of the future. And if you have a home lab, you know, it's endless what you can do with it. So it, you know, it's an investment in fun. It's an investment in your future, especially if you're in the tech or it industry or interested in getting into it. I have a lot of, uh, on my blog, I, I get about 200,000 unique visitors a month. I have a lot of young people that reach out to me on the, the website's chat and they're asking me questions about Raspberry Pis. I love it. I, I love that these younger generations are building their own home labs to learn about like a Raspberry Pi Pi hole or DNS or DHCP or they're building uh, Bluetooth syncs. You know, they're learning Linux. They're they're getting ready because, you know, these, these younger generations, they... they it's all hands-on now. And it's, it's, I, I love the fact that they're getting into this kind of stuff and, and learning about it. But, but to me, that's, you know, that's what a home lab is and the advice would be to just stick with it and have fun.
1: Steven, thank you so much for joining and have a wonderful day.
2: Andu, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to the home labbers podcast. Our passion is to interview the leading IT experts and get tech enthusiasts all the information they need to become an expert. So if you run at-home enterprise hardware and software, and you like tinkering and self-learning, then you've found your new podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit up the website at viandu.tech. On Twitter at hashtag trending And hashtag homelab. See you next time on the Homelabbers Podcast.